It's the Productize Podcast 2018. Happy New Year. I hope you enjoyed your uh, your holiday break. Maybe that meant you you broke to get some work done or you took a break from work. You know, everyone's got their preference on that. I do a little bit of both. Uh, well, anyway, today, you know, back at it, January. It's cold outside, but here I am staying warm inside recording podcasts. And today I'm talking to Ian Landsman. He's the founder of Userscape, uh, been around for a few years here, bootstrapping, sustaining a self-funded software company. And so he's been involved in quite a few different projects over the years. HelpSpot, the help desk software is the one that, that's really been their, their bread and butter, if you will. But he's been heavily involved in the Laravel PHP community, uh, has built a job board and recruiting service and conference you know, line of different ventures related to that. He's the co-host of the Bootstrapped.fm podcast, a really good one. I highly recommend it. And we talked about a new product that he's just getting off the ground this year, a SaaS with the freemium model called Thermostat.io, getting the story all about that. And we really covered a lot of ground here as usual, talked about marketing and kind of shady tactics and how to really uh, play it straight as we head into 2018 and really why that's the way to do it, That why that's what works. Bootstrapping, stair-stepping and kind of sustaining a business and having the flexibility to take it slow, I think was a really interesting part of this conversation. So yeah, we really just went all over the place like I like I usually do when I talk to Ian and really enjoyable conversation as always. So without further ado, here you go. Here's my conversation with Ian Landsman. Enjoy. All right, I'm here with Ian Landsman. Ian, how's it going? Hello. Good to see you again. Yeah, great to talk to you. I think every time we get together, we talk, it's, uh, you know, we just kind of go all over the map. Right. <laughs> and talk about all things, you know, startups, life, and everything in between. So I think, I'm sure this episode will be no different. Right. I'll stick with tradition. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you're the, uh, you're the co-host of Bootstrapped.fm, a, a long time great podcast for bootstrappers and fans of, of, of basically anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's ostensibly about bootstrapping. I don't know. Like if, if you start from the beginning, it's about bootstrapping. But if you just start listening now to current episodes, it's more about, it's kind of like the Seinfeld of bootstrap podcasts. It's kind of about nothing. It's just our lives and some business is thrown in. So uh, yeah, it's entertaining, I think. I love it. Occasionally informative. And so, you know, I was just checking out your site for Userscape and I don't know if you changed this recently, but it's just a really clean page. It's just like lists out like a whole portfolio of things that you and your company is is involved in. Like, you know, you, you've really sustained a bootstrap software company and you've been involved in quite a few different projects and things over the years. Uh, how do you describe like what you do today when, when you get that question? Yeah, that's a hard one. It's kind of weird because we have a couple different core areas. Definitely the the main thing the company does is HelpSpot, which is our main product, customer service tool. That's the vast majority of the money and the vast majority of our time. So it's still definitely the main thing. But then just it's we've been doing that for so long that we have these other interests we've acquired over the years. And uh, so we just have all these other projects that are we do in addition to HelpSpot. And yeah, so what we do is we kind of do what we want to do, which is an interesting position for the most part. So that's where sometimes, especially me uh, as the founder, I think I will go off sometimes and get distracted in a different area. And it's, you know, the team kind of is doing all the heavy lifting of running HelpSpot and the day-to-day work of that. And then I will be off 
experimenting in other places for a month or whatever, and then I'll come back. And like right now I'm very heavily in the big help spot mode with a bunch of stuff we're working on there. So, uh, but I do need to like get away from it sometimes. And I still have that entrepreneurialness of wanting to start different things or experiment. So we, we do take on these other little projects and they have very long timelines. Like a couple of the things that we've been working on are just going to launch in the next month or so here, hopefully. Um, pretty sure about that. You're talking about things for HelpSpot. No, these are actually just other projects. So like we have another SaaS product called Thermostat, which we've been working on for like a year. We have another product called Lara Talent, which is kind of a recruiting service that we've also been working on for like six months. And so... But, you know, I, I don't care about how long they take because I'm pretty long term on all of them. So it's like, whatever, we've been in business 12 or 13 years. If this takes a year or two to launch, then that's fine because it can't take over. The side things can't take over our time from the, the main product. So that still has to be a focus. So we kind of work on these other things as time allows. And uh, so that's kind of how we end up with now a bunch of stuff. You know, it's, it's interesting you describe it that way because that's how I've been thinking about it more recently, you know, because I'm also involved in a whole bunch of different products, different businesses, some things that I just do for fun. And like, I think for a few years there, I felt really guilty about being involved in too many projects in a single year. And, you know, you can call it shiny object syndrome. You can call it just being restless and, and not being patient enough and not being focused enough. But I, I do think that like one of the key benefits of this bootstrapped kind of self-funded trajectory is that optionality. Like we can go as slow as we want. Right. <laughs> and we could, if we want to take a month off and work on a little side project, we can do that. There's no pressure to stay focused on pushing on one growth lever for years on end, you know? Yeah. I think, and that's something nobody talks about, right? It's like going as slow as you want. <laughs> that's like the thing, the opposite of what most people are talking about, right? Is how do you do it faster? And and it is tricky because there are times where like I made this mistake with um, another product we tried called Snappy a few years ago, which didn't work out. And I kind of went all in on it and it sort of took over the company and didn't work out. And that set back the main product and it wasn't a great spot. So I think just being like self-aware enough to say, okay, look, these are things we want to experiment with um, or that I might personally want to experiment with and making sure that they fit into the fold of the company as a whole where it doesn't take over. Everybody can't be focused on that or it's not going to really work. And if I was just solo still, I think I'd have to work harder at not allowing that to come in as much because then obviously nothing moving forward if I'm working on other things. Uh, depending on the spot you're at. And again, you have that flexibility, so it might be fine to do that. And I have done that even when I was solo way back in the beginning. Um, there were times where I wouldn't work on it for a month because I'm off doing whatever. But yeah, like I think now I, you just give a feel like right now we have a nice balance of that. And you have to get used to the stress of that too. Like you could, it could become really stressful sometimes if you think about, wow, we have like six products. And if I'm trying to make equal progress on all of them, then it's incredibly stressful. But if it's like, okay, like this thing's just going to sit here for four months right now because there's just no time and that's okay. And that's fine. And also picking projects where that will be okay. Um, is another thing you have to think more about if you're going to get involved in something else. Is it something with like a defined time frame, or like you do, like you do the tiny conf? Like, what is it big? Yeah, no? big snow, tiny conf going in two weeks. <laughs> right. So those kind of things where like you, it's not a huge amount of work and it's sort of a defined time frame, and you can spend a couple of weeks on it leading up to it, and then it'll be over, and then you don't have to think about it at all you know, until next year. So things like that where they can kind of fit in without taking over completely. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I, I think it's also, it's definitely a, a relief when you've been at this a few years and you've built something up to be like that core moneymaker for your business, like for you, you know, with HelpSpot and for me, basically with audience apps at this point, that does free you up to take it a little bit slower on other things and, and even make certain strategic decisions. Like um, we can get into this a bit later, but like, you know, like freemium models and like, and experimenting with things that like, maybe it's not going to be the biggest revenue generator from the get-go, but you have your revenue generator in place. Like now you can experiment with other things, you know? Yeah, exactly. And create, like, I mean, definitely, I mean, I would love a second revenue stream or like a, a we have several second revenue streams, but I wouldn't mind a, more substantial second revenue stream that was like, let's say 30 or 40% of kind of help spots revenue, something like that. And so when you think about how to get to that, yeah, you can experiment with different ways to do that that aren't the traditional like pickup product that requires a lot of sales and work and work really hard at it and make that the goal um, because then that's probably too much work and can take away from the main product. It's like kind of forces you to think outside the box a little bit of, okay, if we work on some of these other things, which one of these has like the potential to become that and is the kind of thing that could be structured in such a way that it doesn't take so much effort. And that's kind of an interesting challenge to work through. And because I know how to do the pickup product with a market that's XYZ and work really hard at that. Uh, I understand that way to do it. But trying to have it be a little bit less intense than that, you know, is interesting and adds complexity in different ways in terms of how you structure. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago about like, you know, userscape is a company with employees and, and a whole team and kind of allocating resources to a line of different products. I'm curious, like in like the list of things that I see listed on userscape and the other projects that you're involved in, like, where do you draw the line between like, this is a userscape team project or this is something that Ian is working on solo? Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I, everything's userscape team. Ultimately, like any of these other initiatives wouldn't really work if the team wasn't eventually involved in them. So, but what I've been kind of doing with the last couple here is I'm sort of the prototyper in chief. Like I just go off hack away on it. I do the coding. I like think through different options or whatever. And I don't really get everybody else involved at that stage because if it doesn't work out, then that's a very expensive mistake to make. So this way it's just my time, which I deem as less valuable for some reason, right? So it's like me going through that those processes. It's like somehow founders, you know, pay themselves the least in the company. Right. <laughs> Like well, I can spend my time, I can spend my weekend on this, right? But so, right. So yeah. So like with thermostat, for instance, which is a survey tool we're building, um, like I just did all of that initial stuff to see, like if I felt like it was a good idea. Once it was a little more real, and if it would be something we want to continue with. And then once we've got, then we kind of just did nothing with it, kind of over the summer, just nothing going on. And in the fall, we sort of got busy with other things. And one of the developers was out with uh, on had a kid, so it was out for that for a bit and stuff. So. Now everybody's back. And so now that's actually been handed off to one of the developers who's working on kind of the finishing up of some of the more technically complicated aspects of it and billing and getting all the like finishing touches and things on it. And so, you know, so now it's going to be more of like the userscape team thing. And then, then we'll kick it out there and then we'll still have to figure out a little bit with support and stuff. There's still some things we have to figure out with that. But, but yeah, so it kind of, they evolve into the team working on it eventually. So, you know, you and I guess your team have been pretty heavily involved in Laravel, the PHP framework 
for quite a while. Can you talk a bit about that? Like, how did you initially get into that and your involvement in it? And then, of course, you, you've kind of like built that into a couple different entities. You, you run a, a Laracon conference. You have a, a job board. I want to hear more about this talent thing you're talking about. Yep. All right. So yeah, Laravel, just a really quick summary of that is the, uh, I discovered Laravel, the framework like five years ago or six years ago now, I guess. And it was really early on in its development and we were looking to hire developers. So I ended up just reaching out to the lead developer, the only developer at the time uh, to see, cause I thought it was awesome. We were looking for frameworks to build new things on and I really liked Laravel. Uh, so this is before like this version two of Laravel, I guess. And so he ended up working for us for like three years at Userscape. And during that time, like Laravel got a lot bigger and we did a lot of stuff together. So like we ran the first couple of physical conferences in New York and in Washington, D.C. And those were like Userscape endeavors, essentially. And so we're still, I'm personally still close with the founder of the framework and sort of the community at large, a lot of the people who were involved early on with it and so on. So we have the job board, we have, in terms of kind of community involvement at this point. So he went off and Laravel's doing great and they have some commercial side and they have the open source side and it's kind of getting huge. Uh, so so for, out of that, the physical conferences, uh, Laravel itself just runs now because it's just like a lot of work <laughs> and uh, more, more work than I really wanted to do. But we did run Laracon online, just the online conference. We run the Lara Jobs, which is a job board for kind of Laravel and PHP developers. And then we have a new thing we're working on called Lara Talent, which is a Laravel slash really just PHP developer in general kind of recruiting service, you might call it. It's not nothing like a traditional recruiter, but it's sort of a reverse job board. So a job board, right, is companies post jobs and then developers, uh, you know, a bunch of developers will submit their resumes of various quality and and all that. And the, the company has to like sort through all that stuff, um, which is part of the reason why companies will use recruiters because recruiters have access to a community, recruiters in theory anyway, and recruiters will filter out, uh, kind of filter down to more better candidates. So you charge the like the business. It's it's like a, a done for you service to recruit. Do you like just present like a few top candidates to a business who's looking for a developer? So that'll be like what Lara Talent is. Yeah. Like Lara Jobs is just a straight up job board like you've seen a million times. Lara Talent, right, will be the developers apply and we will sort through them and pick who we think are kind of the best ones at different price points and things too. So it's not just like the best because they have, you know, they know how to make missiles fire and stuff like that. And they're their highest end price wise, but across the whole scope of experience. And then uh, send an email every week with like five to 20 developers in it. And then the employers will pay us to have the ability to contact those developers. And it'll be a lot less money than like a recruiter is going to be normally like 20% of the first year salary. So a developer might be at least $20,000 or more, obviously, if you're in New York City or whatever. Oh, I see. So it's like an email with just a small set, like 10 to 20 best of the best Laravel developers. Right. Every week, here's 10 developers each week that come on. Like every Tuesday, you're getting an email. Here's 10 developers. And it's like people who happen to be available right now. Right, exactly. And, and so, you know, you could stay on the list forever as an employer and you don't have to necessarily contact anyone. But when you're back ready to hire again, then, okay, you can start paying attention to the list. And when you want to contact somebody, 
I'm still working on the exact pricing, but basically it'd be something along the lines of like, it might be whatever, $700 to be able to contact developers for three months or something like that. I don't really want to make a subscription, I don't think. So it'll be some kind of time frame you can buy or you can buy a year or whatever if you want. And then you can contact as many developers as you want. The developer gets to see you, see your job link and like kind of approve the contact before they really have to make a total connection there. So it kind of puts the developers in a nicer driver's seat and the employers get sort of a pre-vetted list of people. Um, it's not all the way to a recruit. A full recruiter would be like, this is the person for you. Here they are. I'm dropping them in your lap. And it'd be a little bit farther along the process. So this is not quite as far along, but one twentieth the price. So you still have to do a little legwork as the employer. But we're making that connection to this community that we have a connection with. So we're facilitating that. You know, it's so interesting because like just this whole space of products and services around recruiting around placing people into jobs or just delivering like, like I guess done for you services are kind of an offshoot of that. It's like, it's like an alternative to having to hire someone. You just hire a a service, but it's like this problem has been, people have been trying to crack away at this problem for years and years and years. And there are some, there's massive worldwide job boards that still work fairly well, but like it's, there's still opportunity to do this a little bit better right? To help companies hire talent. It's like there are a lot of companies hiring and there's a lot of talent out there, but for some reason, there's still that friction of matching people to companies. I think the friction is getting worse really because like everybody knows about the job boards. Um, There's a lot of automated tools. So it's like, you know, you post a job as an employer and you get three, 400 resumes, but you know, there's like, so now there's like offshore groups. They're like, some of them are like semi-masquerading as a person. So now you got to filter through that. Then you have just people who didn't read your instructions and mess that whole thing up. And then you have just people who aren't qualified. And then you have, even if you have, let's say like 5% that are like, okay, these are like solid candidates who make it through the, all that stuff. Then you still have to kind of figure out which of those make the most sense and get into more of the subtleties. A lot of times you may not even be the right person for that if it's like an HR, you know, depending on how the corporation is structured and who's doing this phase. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's a technical role. So right. the company or the HR person or whoever, they don't know how to vet a developer or how to vet a, a marketing person. Like they're hiring someone because they need someone to do that. They're not an expert at it, right? So. Right. And the first pass person is the HR person so that the senior developer who might be doing the hiring doesn't have to filter through 400 resumes. But then you have this HR person filtering through 400 resumes. They don't really know what they're looking for other than that's when you get into like a lot of weird like keyword matching. And, you know, so people are forced to like make their resume suck so that they can get into the proper filters in the HR system. But then that resume stinks for sending it to the technical person because it's just full of garbage that nobody wants to read. So... Yeah, there's still so much there that's not running optimally, that's for sure. How are you, uh, or how are you planning to do the vetting piece of that, like as part of the service? Like, how are you going to systematize that? And so, are you going to have people doing that, like testing developers? And how's that going to work? Yeah, so we're going to see how far we want to go with that. So, phase one is just me. I mean, I've hired a lot of developers. I'm going to look through them, I'm going to filter them down. Like, I mean, filtering out the garbage, I think, will be just very straightforward. But when it gets to more of the subtleties, I don't know how far we're going to go with that. It's like a, it's a balance of, like, if we get into, like, testing them or doing extensive phone interviews, right? Now we're at full recruiter, which means we really have to charge, like, $10,000 or whatever. So my phase one is not do that. It's going to be more of us having our own metrics and what we're looking for in different resumes and things. And that'll be pretty systematized. So 
I think it'll always have to be somebody who has pretty extensive hiring experience, but it might not be me eventually if there's enough revenue to justify that. Well, you could do, I mean, even just a code review, whether it's your own test projects or just looking at their GitHub. Well, definitely that's a thing, looking at their GitHub. I mean, that's something that like, even I, like I can't, when I'm evaluating developers, I can basically only go off of their communication with me and their ability to execute a project. But like, I can't look at their code and know whether or not it was done well, you know? And like, like a service like yours, like, you know, with that kind of competency to be able to do the code review is definitely valuable. Yeah, we could do, we could even, I mean, there's some different interesting options with code review. There's some options with different like certifications and things that already exist. And there's a new one in Laravel specifically. So some things we could work with with that. Um, so I don't know, we'll see. We'll see how far we push that. I think, I mean, it could even be different tiers, right? Like eventually I could totally see people being like, well, we want you to, we want you to narrow it down to just the final one for us and be like a full recruiter. Like, I mean, whatever. There might be, there could be a $20,000 package. That's, we're just a straight up recruiter, old school style. And here's the two people we think you should fly in for the final interview, right? And it's just that. But that's not my phase one for sure. So I want to see if it's enough to just filter it down, understand what a good developer looks like, understand. I, I think you just mentioned the communication part. See, to me, that's a huge part that oh, yeah. I think a lot of developers lack, right? And so to me, I find it's more that there's a lot of people capable of doing the coding, especially when we're just talking about like CRUD app, fairly straightforward stuff. It, it's that how are they going to work with your team? How are they going to communicate with you? So that's where, an area where I think initially we're going to have a bigger impact of like, that's the kind of thing I've always been a pretty big stickler for is how they're going to fit into the team and how they communicate and stuff. And so many like cover letters are just garbage that you get from I mean, this highly paid developer, highly educated, and like their resume and their cover letters stink. So couldn't agree more. And there's a lot of opportunity on the other side. Like one of my developers right now is like a 25 year old kid, not super experienced. There's all sorts of things that I'm building with him that he's just upfront. He's like, I haven't built this sort of thing before, but I could figure it out. I could read up on it. And he's he's been a rock star. Like he's been shipping code feature after feature, super fast and just eager to learn and code like through the night, you know? And, <laughs> and it's like, and it's just been really awesome. And it's just that communication skill, like being able to, to kind of show up and be, I mean, that's not the right, skill set for every developer role, but like there's opportunity. I mean, you know, the other interesting thing about what you're doing is you're leveraging your community that you've built up. You've built your presence in that community. You know, all the different, both sides of the marketplace. Like if you look at launching a job board, a recruiting service, that's very much a two-sided marketplace. And it might seem like a simple thing to launch a job board, but it's simple enough to launch a ghost town job board, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, no. I can't tell you how many people have been like, oh, I'm launching, I'm launching a job board. Like, tell us what you do with Lara Jobs or whatever. And it's like, this, it's so, you have to have both sides of it before. Like, technology is nothing. It's the same as this Lara talent. Like, I'm just building out the tech for it myself. I don't think any of the rest of the team is even going to be involved in it because it's all very simple. And it's just like, that's nothing. Like, the, what it is is like the six years of building this relationship with all these developers and in this community and also with the business end of, of folks, uh, which we've done through Lara Jobs. So we have all these businesses that posted jobs, which are, you know, obviously potentially ideal customers. And then other businesses I know from bootstrapping world and other businesses, even in help spot world and things. So how do you have both sides of that? This is a hard spot to get to. And it's not even like a I go write an ebook type of problem. It's a like, you got to be out there in the community for years sort of problem. So until you get to that point, it's yeah, job board is brutal. <laughs> job is hard. In a few minutes, I want to get into uh, thermostat. But before we get there, just like on this same point about like building community, this is something that I've been 
really thinking a lot about heading like right now we're heading into or wow we are in 2018 now yeah. <laughs> and you know jordan and i were just talking about this on the bootstrap web podcast uh you wrote a really interesting article a few months back called shady tactics in our midst you know talking about marketing and all these like quote unquote like growth hackers and just different tactics that really just rub a lot of people the wrong way but what I've been thinking more about is just like a lot of those tactics don't work or they, they don't work like they used to work. Yeah. Whether you're talking about even just the cost of, of running ads, not that ads don't have their place in, in marketing anymore, but it's like the cost per clicks are higher than ever. The amount of cold emails that I get in my inbox every single day is out of control at this point. Like it, it's really hard to imagine that that stuff is working. And I used to do a, a bit of cold email outreach and it used to work like two or three years ago. But now every time I try it, it, it just falls flat because people ignore it, you know, um, and plenty of other tactics. I mean, I just think that, you know, between your article and the stuff that I've been hearing from the guys at Drift and what Josh, uh, Josh Pickford has been writing about lately on the blog, I think that there's this theme heading into 2018 where it's like, forget the greasy tactics, forget about, you know, having to attribute every single conversion to a specific click. And just, I think it's actually going in the direction of build community. If you can build a community and not just to build an audience, I think that's one thing, but get your audience to communicate with each other, whether it's private Facebook groups, forums, you know, a podcast, conferences, you know, like embedding yourself and leading a community and, and just, and it seems like sometimes like a waste of time. Sometimes it's like fuzzy. Like how do you monetize or how do you validate spending hours chatting with folks in a Slack community or, or in a Facebook group? But when they have this trust in you and like they're part of this tribe, if you, I hate these buzzwords, but like, I mean, look at what you've done through the conferences with Laravel, being so involved in that open source community, that project yeah. and people looking to you and your company for that. It's like, you know, now, now you're able to, to spin that off into actual products. And I think there's a sort of, it feels so big because people, I don't think they always look at it exactly right. It's like you look at it as like kind of the word you use of like leading a community, right? But I don't even think you have to lead it. Like we don't lead the Laravel community. Like that's definitely Taylor, the inventor of the framework. And, you know, there's other people who are much bigger, sort of more known part of the community than we are, but we still have our chunk of it and we do our part. And so I think that you can find a community to, to calve off a little part of, right? Where you're the leader in that little part of it. Like for us, it would be kind of the like jobs and hiring in the Laravel community is probably a place where we are more active and you know, we do the conferences and some of these other things. But so even though we're not like the leader of the community, we are an active participant in it and maybe at a little bit higher level than the average person, but also not all the way to the top. But that still can be enough you know, to give you a reasonable size audience and trust and those things. If you do a good job with it and you're doing an honest job with it and aren't just doing it, that's where like the shady tax come in. Like if we were just doing the conference to like be lead gen for the job board, like that probably wouldn't work out so well because we'd have to make a lot of non-optimal decisions for the conference if that was its only purpose or, you know, or, or any of those things that we've done um, in the past or even like with hiring the developer to begin with and so there's a lot of things where you could take it down a sleazy path and I think it's not going to work out so well. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially when you're selling to businesses, like if you're, if you're running a business, like you know what's happening, you know what the marketing funnel is. It's a question of whether or not you have this need and, and it solves the problem. And do you trust the company behind it? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And looking for opportunities in weird places. Like that's where these other things come in. It's like, there's so much in, you know, like, okay, build,
build a help desk app, build a CRM, like build like all these like mainline apps are so full of startups and established companies and public companies. And that's why you can't advertise, right? Because yeah, Zendesk can outspend us. Like we will never be able to outspend Zendesk for any clicks on any platform anywhere ever. And so, you know, and, and then on the lower level, the more shady tactic level, like we're probably not going to want to or be able to out cold email some startup who's got 4 million bucks that they have to blow through in the next year. And so they've hired 10 sales reps to just sit there and blast email away everybody, you know, and they're okay with getting one per 500 to like, you know, make some kind of uh, conversion on. And so you kind of are left with building just like a reasonable business that has semi-normal marketing channels and you do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and it's not going to be so easy or convenient as here's a shady tactic that works and prints money like maybe it used to a few years ago before people were as savvy and before there was just such saturation of all those tactics and everybody's mailbox is so overflowing now with crap that I mean I don't see the crap because I just like Google filtered all off and I don't even see any of it right and I don't look in there and sometimes I miss real stuff but that's like the price we pay for yeah, I mean, I think it like it, it used to be like, do you want to take the fast way or the slow way? And the fast way just costs a lot of money if you, you if you could spend it in in advertising or or sales reps or, or all this stuff. But if you have that money, then you can go very fast. If you don't have that money, you're self funding, you're bootstrapped, then you go the slow way. You build an audience and you network your way up. But I think now even the fast way is not fast anymore. <laughs> even if you have that money, it's not going to work as well as, as it did a few years ago. And between just so much competition, it's like you have to go slow either way. So you might as well go the route that can have some longevity to it. And I think when you like having an audience, but then really being embedded in some sort of community and being well known in this community, it also it makes whatever product you're doing more defensible, right? I mean, Every product has the ability to, you're, you're never going to compete on features anymore. It, it used to be like, you know, SaaS products have to just ship extremely fast so that, you know, they can beat their competitors in, in features. But at this point, within a matter of just a couple of months, every SaaS in your competitive space, you're going to match each other on features. So then it, it just comes down to like, where's the trust? You know, when people are in a community and they're following a person or a brand or a company, and they're talking to other people who are in this together, all part of the same community. It's like, they don't want to go to the, they want a reason to buy that product, right? I also think that bootstrappers have gotten, like, I think everybody got caught up for a few years there with, you know, like competing with the funded SaaSs and everything and how that works and features and all that stuff. But I still think that to me, like HelpSpot's never had the most features. It's never going to have the most features, just impossible. To have, I mean, we have more features than I like already, and we don't have half the features of like a Zendesk or other solutions. But I think people underestimate the power of why kind of the core reason companies buy, and they think it's like the check sheets that the company might send them with a million features or whatever. But I think most of the time it comes down to there's one or two things that your app is expected to do, like no matter what, right? So in the help desk, like you have to accept email and be able to respond to the email and kind of track that conversation with the customer. And so you just have to have a different take or a unique take on that core aspect. Like if your couple features are a unique take from the other solutions, then you're gonna get a good chunk of customers who are like, you know, I've been looking for a tool that does it the way you do it. And yeah, you don't have the 8,000 other features, many of which would be very convenient and we would like them very much. And we hope you get them and you should get them and you should build them and all that stuff. But we're still picking your solution because you think about the problem in the way we think about the problem. And 
you could like I think more bootstrap startups and startups in general would be better served like really nailing down that core aspect of what they do in a way that's more efficient or you know just better in some way for some group of people rather than yeah you know, being so caught up on the number of features the competition has and all that. Yeah, I mean like it fits one particular workflow that a large group of people, like everyone does like help desk or social media scheduling in one form or another, but a certain group of people are looking for a particular way of doing it, like a, like a workflow or a user interface or something like that. Yeah. And you have your couple things that you hang your hat on, like the, that feet, you know, that a certain feature that works a certain way. Maybe you have a the pricing models different in some way that's interesting, or maybe like with us, like HelpSpot, you can install it on your own servers, which is very different than most you know, there's not a lot of apps, help desk apps that are modern and that let you do that. So that's a differentiator. So you can have like these handful of differentiators that help separate you from, you know, bigger competing tools. Yeah, very cool. So tell me about thermostat.io. Like how did that begin? Where is it at today? What's that all about? When I first heard about it from you, it was like, wait, what is that thing? And I thought it was totally unrelated to what you've been doing with HelpSpot and, and Userscape. But I, I kind of get it now. There is like a connection. It's like getting like users to kind of give you feedback. And that's kind of related to support, I guess. Yeah. So it's a NPS survey tool, so net promoter score. I'm sure some people out there have heard of that. Again, definitely not inventing the net promoter score survey tool industry here. There's a number of dedicated tools. There's lots of other just general survey tools. Of course, there's a million that you could sort of shoehorn NPS into a little theoretically. So yeah, we started using NPS and I like it. I like the concept of it. I like the sort of, even aside from NPS itself, I like the idea of it's a thing. So kind of on a level above what NPS itself is, is that I like the idea that businesses like NPS. So even forgetting about NPS itself is kind of a tricky concept, but forgetting about NPS itself, I like the idea that businesses like NPS because they primarily like NPS realistically because it gives them a single number. It's measurable. To sort of track their customer satisfaction. And for those who, who aren't familiar with NPS, it's basically that one of those like pop-up surveys, it's like one to 10, like how likely are you to recommend this product or this feature to someone, right? Exactly. Zero to 10, actually. But Zero to 10. Zero to 10. So, and you rate it and then there's a little formula, like zero to six is a detractor, seven to eight are kind of passive. They don't even count in the score, seven and eight. So if you ever give a seven or eight, you're actually not counting towards the score at all in a lot of cases. I give eights all the time. You don't count. <laughs> and then nine and 10 is a promoter. So that's what you're shooting for, obviously. So <laughs> whenever, you know, I, I rarely fill those things out, but whenever I do, I typically, even when I'm like satisfied, I'll do an eight just because I'm thinking like, man, I really have to reserve nine and 10 for like best of the best of the best. Right. <laughs> right. And like nothing ever like reaches that, you know? So it's like, well, that's an interesting, but well, that's where they want to get you to, right? Like that's the whole, that's actually his whole theory. And people try to break apart MPS as on a more like sort of, analytical in a way and they get hung up on a lot of this like well why do you drop seven to eight doesn't make any sense but like they're missing the whole point which is that the whole point is to get you so fanatical that you're doing nine and ten like that is if you're not doing that that's that's really the measurement like everything else about it is who cares like do you have enough nine and tens where people who are truly like fanatical about your product and that's like what you're trying to get people to and actually the guy who created has an interesting thing about at first he did it with where it was only ten and then, but there's just some people who will never give the top of a scale, no matter what, under any scenario, they'll just never do it. And so, so we made it nine and 10 being the top so that there was, I think it might've actually been like a six point scale at that time too. So it was a little bit. Cause there's the other thing that I see quite a bit with like help, uh, just random customer support emails where they have like 
what is what is it like three options like to five or like like were you like happy okay or sad or something like that like yeah yeah one to five is a standard sort of customer service metric um whether or not it's even like sort of statistically uh the best is very much up in the air. It's the traditional one. And that's just more of a straight, like people just didn't take an average and compare against themselves. To me, it's really, you know, so you're really just comparing it yourself. It doesn't even matter so much about anybody else, although bigger companies will compare across the industry and things like that. But um, you just want your NPS or, you know, even a more traditional support score to be improving. How did you start using it in the first place? Like, do you just unleash it on on all users in your app or just some segments and some pages like how does that work yeah so just i mean you could do whatever you want with it but uh we, the thermostat by default will attempt to spread it out more for you so that it's more even across like the customer base over time and things like that but uh people look at it differently it depends on how you want to see it so you could do the all like i'm going to do it twice a year i'm just going to email everybody or pop up for everybody right and then twice a year we'll just get all this data all at once and then we'll see what we're doing or do it quarterly or something and there's other people who wanted to more like drip in over time where like every day you know 20 people get surveyed and so that every day you're getting that feedback so the score and you can kind of like track it over time yeah it, it has ups and downs like some day, like your score on a particular day is not that relevant because if you only surveyed one percent of your total customers it might not really be enough to be sure about the score on that particular day but it's still adding it up over time so you still have the all-time score and then also uh the nice part about the daily drip is if something dramatic changes like you get a little more warning. Like all of a sudden, everybody starts giving you twos when otherwise things were kind of normal. Well, maybe that's because of the thing you just broke or the thing you just changed or your pricing change you announced yesterday or something like that. So uh, rather than waiting six months and sort of then finding out that you had this big screw up or something. So the, there are advantages. On, on the flip side, like you might not every day really be able to focus at that level on it. So doing it quarterly or something might be better. Um, I do, we do it like for our products on the everyday. Um, I do like to see it because to me, there's the number aspect, which is one thing. And like, that's more of a long-term thing of tracking over time and improving. But then there's the feedback that comes in with it that people can type in. And that to me is really useful just to be constantly reading that. Like every day we're getting just written interactions from our customers that aren't support, but that are specifically about providing feedback. So that's the aspect of it I really like. And that's the part where I think I was interested by to begin with, because it's something that businesses like that gets them to interact with their customers on a more regular basis in a way that I think is useful. Because it's very easy to just get into like customer support mode, right? Where you're like, you know, you're not talking, you do sales. And once they become a customer, you basically never talk to them again, unless they have a problem. You know, it's interesting because it's like, like one goal of, of any business owner is to talk to customers, even, even after a long period of time, just to get feedback, get testimonials, hear what's wrong. Wrong. But like when it's the founder one-on-one, like emailing someone and asking for feedback, you know, I find that customers tend to either be overly supportive, overly biased because they're talking straight to the founder or they're not willing to reply. Whereas if it's like a software box right. <laughs> in a piece of software, it's like, Uh, No one's going to read this anyway. I might as well just write whatever the hell, like really speak my mind here, maybe like at least theoretically. 
And I think one of the things we did with thermostat was to try to account for all those different mindsets because there's like a lot of the tools kind of focus only on emailing the surveys and thermostat will have that. And that's will be a, the paid version of thermostat, which actually wasn't going to do a paid version, which is a whole nother story. But there will be a paid aspect if you want us to manage like emailing people for you. But all the other parts of it are free. And so there's like you can just create a link. So like if I want as the just if I wanted to email as the founder and say, hey, please fill out the survey, blah, 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 I can just embed this link into my personal email that I send out. And people can fill it out that way. Or I could embed it in the SaaS app and it'll pop up like you've seen, I'm sure, a million times and fill it out that way. Or as an API, you could do your own custom thing. Or we can email for you and then it's like an email with the boxes right in it of zero to 10 and you click the box. So there's like all these different ways you can do the survey or and you can even mix and match them. So yeah, whatever people want, you know, it's flexible in that way, which I think is interesting. It's one of the nice things about having it not be a generic survey tool is that since we know the exact type of survey that's always going to be being used, um, we can kind of do more with it in some ways and shove it into more places optionally. So where are you at in this product? Like you started what, like about a year ago on it? Yeah, it was like not quite a year ago because um, actually the first use case for it was quite interesting. It was we were throwing Laracon online, uh, the first one, which was last year in the spring. And we have the second one coming up this uh, in a month from now in February. But And I really wanted to survey the attendees about each speaker. So I just like put together the prototype like super duper fast just to make a functional front to it where people could actually fill out a survey. And of course, there, there are plenty of survey tools out there. You, you just wanted to take a break and code something, right. basically. Exactly. Because <laughs> I knew we wanted to do this. So it's like, well, this would be great because we have like 4,000 people in this conference. So it'd be kind of an interesting use case. So we did it. And it's, it's like so awesome. It was just amazing as a, somebody who's thrown conferences previously to have this level of like feedback and detail. And it was, it's really remarkable just how much it tracked too to my own personal feelings on each talk and what I, how well I thought the speaker did. And then the conference as a whole, like all the numbers matched. So it's kind of an interesting affirmation of my own sort of notes on it was that the survey backed up most of what I was thinking, like kind of which speakers did well and which ones maybe didn't do as well. And all, I mean, everybody actually did super well overall, but there was still of the sort of peaks there. Yeah. It's like who got the eights and who got the tens. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so we kind of broke that down a little bit and then the conference as a whole. So uh, it was really cool. I was, and that's what even drew uh, some features came out of that because one of the things I want to do is since the open source conference, I wanted to let people read the comments um, on the survey. So like Thermostat has a feature where you can have your survey results be public and they like, well, you can embed them into like Twitter or whatever and it'll give the score and it'll let you click through and read the commentary. That's cool. It's, it's almost like a, it's actually a way to get testimonials. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely a way to get testimonials. I mean, there's a thing we could even do. We could even create a testimonials page based on the feedback. Like it already kind of works that way in that you can say, I only want to display like um, the promoters, nines and tens um, and hide the like negatives. And so you could link to this as a testimonials page essentially, but we could certainly, you know, in the future build out a way where it like just embedded in your page, like little comment box looking things and just like made them or like let you select them and embed them or whatever. So there's all kinds of different like areas this could feed into for sure. So, okay. So like you had it as like a fun project to do for Laracon online. And, and then after that, like, how does it become like, I'm curious about what your plan and your process was for getting this out there, uh, marketing wise, getting like an early access list and then getting those first users. And I, I also want to touch on the, like the freemium and paid plan, but like, how did you go about that? So it's, it's evolved in a few ways, but definitely. So back to like the beginning of our conversation is I definitely wanted to, I needed something that self-propelled a little bit. 
like there's not going to be a big marketing push for thermostat in the traditional sense of lots of ads or anything like that. Um, definitely might do some like podcasts and things of that nature, but you know, not any big marketing, not going to have a blog with a bunch of articles. Like there's just not going to happen. So one of the sort of natural parts of a survey tool is that you, you, the survey tool almost always has like powered by whatever, right? So you have pretty standard like badging powered by sort of thing going on. So actually test drove that actually with Laracon Online because the survey links, like they all had like powered by thermostat on the page where you enter the survey or whatever. And definitely got, I don't even know now, like, you know, several hundred or 400 signups or whatever it was just kind of from that. And so that even kind of was like a little bit of a like, okay, like people do notice that and do sign up for it. So that was interesting. So that was kind of the baseline of like, okay, can we make the sort of powered by be enough along with we, there are other channels, like it is going to eventually, not that far from now, uh, be hooked to help spot because you can use these survey tools for customer satisfaction surveys and like Rackspace famously does this and some other companies. So we will sell this into the help spot base. I don't think it's going to be, it's not going to be like 80% of the help spot base buys this, but you know, five or 10% do, that's still like a nice little baseline of usage there and getting it out into their customers and so on as the badging progresses. So that's part of the experiment is can the badging be enough, at least primarily, um, to create like baseline amounts of traffic and, and trial signups? Yeah. So how about the idea to go freemium? I mean, I know you've done something like open source stuff, but like, is, is this basically like your first crack at like a, launching a freemium product? Essentially, yeah. There is a free version of HelpSpot we launched a couple of years ago, kind of for other reasons. And we never really pushed it that hard or anything. So it's out there or whatever, but it's not really anything. So yeah, this would be the first one with a serious freemium component. And so my initial plan was actually, I've adjusted the initial plan, which was initially this was kind of more of a engineering as marketing exercise where it would be totally free with an ad for HelpSpot inside of it. And it would just be kind of lead gen for HelpSpot because most of the users of this tool are going to be businesses. Most businesses need customer support tool. So that kind of works. But then I was like, it kind of killed me to have like no revenue from this thing if we're going to be maintaining it directly. <laughs> so, and there's also the factor of a lot of people do want to just dump in a bunch of emails, have it manage the sending of the emails and just pop out reports, uh, you know, daily summary emails and do all that stuff, but be more automated. So that's where it kind of broke into and that's what's delayed it somewhat is we said, okay, like we'll do over, we'll have a, a top tier, which we, we will accept all the emails and we will manage sending the emails. And then there's a lot of cost with that for us because we have to send all these emails mail gun or whatever. So, and there can be potentially quite a number of emails being sent depending on how many customers you have and everything. So that'll be paid. If you want us to like fully manage it, then that's paid. And we'll- but you also have the powered by, right? Like that- Yeah, that that's be like, a low hanger, like, like Well, like remove the power, the powered by and then the premium. You know? Yeah, we could do that too. So I, I didn't even do that yet because uh, I, I really don't want to get rid of that badge under any circumstance because that's like a big part of my theory of uh, I want to see how that works. But yeah, I think there could certainly be a quantity or a number that would, <laughs> where we would remove it. So yeah, so this is now going to be more of a pure freemium- play where there's a base version where if you are okay sending your own email and embedding a link or you just want to embed it in your SaaS app, it's 100% free. That's it. I think it makes a lot of sense for this type of market too, especially because there, there are probably plenty of startups who need feedback early on and they, they're not going to pay for a higher priced app, but then there are also plenty of businesses with thousands of users who need you know th that feedback score. Yeah, and I think that there's uh, there should be enough who will upsell to make it worthwhile over time because it's like, okay, you've been doing this for a year. 
with it just you're sending out the the links when you you know here and there but you know now that we have all the emails your customers because if they send them back to us they don't have to but if they do we'll still track that for them even if they're not on the paid plan and we can give them the history of this person all those kind of things but you know so now there's like listen we could just do this for you like we could do it we'll make sure it happens at the right frequencies and all that stuff so i think that there'll be a logical of, of a sizable number who are willing to upgrade for that. And we'll certainly, I imagine, have other features eventually that are just too expensive to offer as freemium or too valuable. And so those will be in a paid tier. So yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, very cool. Do you see it as like, a, like even as you're rolling out the paid plans and everything, like you, you definitely see this as like a side project, kind of fun kind of thing? Or are you really going to like push a lot of resources in it and try to really focus on it? Yeah, I think, I mean, definitely it's getting more real as it like has a paid tier and just is taking a little more time to like, we're, you know, now developers who are working on it are being paid obviously. And so there is more realness coming around it. But I also have like, my expectations are minimal kind of, which is how I want them. Like, sort of like my own goals for it, if it's, you know, 15 or 20,000 revenue or something like that would be like totally fine. So I'm okay with it building up over a long period of time and having some financial investment in it above that in the short term for just like development time and things like that. So, yeah, you know, I think, uh, I I think it's great to like, especially, you know, like just bring in full circle here, like having that optionality, the flexibility, go as slow as you want, take on a bunch of different projects that you and your team can jump into, jump out of. Yeah. Even if you're going to dedicate a whole year of focus to it, like it's, you know, I mean, how many years have you been pushing on on HelpSpot now, right? Like, yeah, 13 years. So, you know, I mean, (laughs) you need these things to to stay sane, you know, and, and, uh, and I think it's, we built a lot of it with this in mind. So it's like, it's not going to be that expensive, even the pay tier. It's, I mean, you couldn't get, you could get pretty expensive if you have a lot of emails we're managing for you. And I think that's reasonable because if you have 30,000 customers that you want us to survey, like you're a sizable organization that whatever, three or 400 bucks a month is not going to kill you, right? So that's fine. Um, or what, I, I don't know the actual scale. Don't quote me on the scale, but something, whatever it is, uh, I don't recall off the top of my head. But there's not, it's not, I mean, most of the other tools out there are more complicated, have more features. Again, like that same story as before also. So like this is not a lot of features comparatively to other solutions. So once it's out, we should be able to kind of dip in and out of it as needed. And it shouldn't be that much work to maintain the sort of infrastructure is not that sophisticated requirements wise. Yeah. And like you said, it's like one, one or two features, like customer support shouldn't be a, a huge burden. Right. There shouldn't be a lot of customer support and we'll definitely put work into that. I think as we get that support, like if there's things we can do in the app, that'll be probably the main stuff I want to work on early on is just like smoothing those rough edges to avoid having a lot of support. And if there's places in the app, we can put text to help people or whatever we have to do to clean that part up so that we don't have a lot of support from it other than kind of like feature requests and things. And so I think it'll be manageable to start. And then, you know, then if when it gets to an unmanageable, theoretically, it should be that's a good problem to have. To, right. To be sufficient. Like, then, well, now we can hire a developer or we can hire a support person or whatever we need to do to help with that. That should be possible because it should have enough revenue to justify doing that. So awesome. Yeah, we'll see. Cool. So uh, 
Well, you know, as we're now in 2018, you know, we're, we're going to wrap this up here, but like, what are you, what are you focused on? Like big picture, like anything that you're excited about heading into this year? What do you think founders, startup people should be thinking about? Or I don't know, this, this last year, and this, like, so last year was the year we like, like brainstormed a lot of stuff and shipped a lot of stuff. But then this year is the year where a lot of that's going to actually start to hit the road. Like thermostat, this Lara talent. Yeah. I um, think I'm help, in the same boat too. Help spot is like, we're redesigning the whole interface of HelpSpot. So that's kind of like the big, huge HelpSpot project um, of like just ground up all new front end for it, which is pretty massive project. So, and but I think we'll be very good for sales and all the other stuff too. So I think the 2018 is the year of like shipping and capitalizing on a lot of this work from the past year or so. And then 2019, I'm going to rest. That's going to be the year of rest, hopefully. That's my plan. <laughs> yeah. it's, always, it's always next year. It's always, it's the always year next, next year. year. <laughs> next year is going to be the year of rest. <laughs> right. But anyway, so yeah, in terms of like, I, we've been like so busy with all this stuff that I haven't even given a ton of thought to those more like the bootstrappers in general and what's going on. But I do think we've touched on some of it with just, it's kind of like when I started almost in 2004, where there's not like the easy wins are gone and you're just going to have to build a good solid business and that's it. Like there's no more shortcuts. There's no more, oh, here's the little niche nobody's ever thought of. I'm going to be the one who figures out this little, like all that stuff. There's a person in every crevice of the internet already doing exactly what you're thinking about doing, no matter how weird it is. And you're going to have to figure out how you differentiate from every million other people doing what you're doing. And then how to sustainably like build that. And I think that's kind of, it's kind of it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, and I, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's not so much that like, Oh, all the ideas are taken. Nobody can start anything new anymore, but it's like on the optimistic side. I think this is true that I think that there are obviously more people on the internet, more people engaged online more people connecting with each other than there were even just a few years ago and more customers for all sorts of software training coaching communities membership services you know and there're just more people who are who are more accustomed to buying software who wouldn't have even been in the market a few years ago you know like i like i'm working on this calendar saas app and like a library just bought it Right, <laughs> like, like they you know, like there are more people buying stuff, and you can enter very every space now is competitive. There's there's competitors everywhere, like you said, it's a question of differentiating and just kind of connecting with people and getting out there, like ship it, like get it out in a real way that actually works, even if it's small. Like you do, I mean, a lot of HelpSpot customers use it for maintenance departments. Like I never considered maintenance departments when we start building. We do have a lot of library customers. Like I never thought about libraries when we built Help Desk Tool. So there's a lot, a lot of customers out there that you don't think about who have similar problems to your core market that uh, just by being out there and starting to get a little tiny bit of traction, you'll get some of these weirdo customers that you never considered. And then you could start to build like one of the features we're adding to the mobile app. And this is kind of a basic feature, which we probably should have had in the mobile app forever, but it's really for the maintenance departments primarily is the ability to like just take a picture with the phone and upload it into a ticket. And that's because for maintenance departments, they're like in a boiler room somewhere and they're like, here's the picture of the thing or the serial number or whatever. Like physical product support. It's they like, want to upload, yeah. right. Yeah, so like they want to be able to do stuff like that. So like it's, you get features from these people that help everybody. And uh, yeah, I don't know, but there's, there's a lot out there still. There is still a lot of opportunity, I think. And the other area, another thing to me is I still think consulting is big. I mean, every consultant I know is like, I have no availability. I'm super busy. I'm making all the money. And yes, they are limited in the amount of money they can make by their time and or 
hiring people to have a bigger team, but still they're all like, we're super busy and we're making tons of money. People still want work done for them. Yeah, that's not going away. <laughs> yeah. People might not buy software forever, but they will want somebody to do their work for them forever. Like that's yes. a, a very reliable thing. And then also the info products. Like you said, I think you have a lot of people coming on the internet now who want to get better at all kinds of stuff and who maybe have a little bit of money and are willing to pay a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. For- Everybody is looking to up their game somehow. And now that there's so many use cases for training, I mean, I was literally just looking at a training course for like Laravel test driven development so that I can give it to my team, you know, (laughs) and like just things like that. And, you know, teaching folks like you who are in your shoes two or three years ago. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. There's a lot of, a lot of ways we can go. It's still, I think everything is still growing in 2018. So, so it'll be interesting. Well, uh, Ian, it's always great to uh, to catch up with you. Of course, we'll link up all your your sites in the show notes. Userscape.com is where it's all kind of cataloged there, everything you're working on. Yeah, it's all cataloged there. I got rid of that website. I just like got rid of the website and the words and everything. I was like, I'm just listing all the stuff we do and that's it. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Helpspot is the software. Bootstrap.fm. I highly recommend it. It's a good one. The podcast. Anywhere else people can uh, connect with you? Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. Ian Landsman on Twitter if you want to hear my rantings on various topics. And uh, yeah, that's good. Definitely reach out. I love talking to folks if they have any questions or anything. Always happy to chat. All right, right, man. Thanks. All right. Was that good? Let me know what you thought of this one. Hit reply on any of the emails that I sent you recently. You're not getting my emails? Okay, then head over to my site, castjam.com. You can join my newsletter there. You'll get my best stuff about entrepreneurship, productizing, and more. Also, a five-star review in iTunes is always appreciated. That'll help others like us come find these episodes. All right, until next time, we get back to working on the business. Later. Later.